It's great to see you all here this morning. It's a great opportunity to come and share the word of the Lord with you and be encouraged in terms of what the Lord is doing, especially at this time as we focus upon this holiday season and all that that entails and all that that means to us. I'd just like us to pray as we come to the word of the Lord here today. The theme that I wanted to share with you comes from Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. And it is a theme of the overshadowing presence of God. So before we actually come to the scriptures, let us read. Let us come before the Lord. Let us open our hearts. So Father God, today we just pray, Lord, that you might speak into every single heart here today. Lord, that you might open our hearts and minds. Cause us, Lord, to reflect afresh upon the things that very often we are so familiar with. But Lord, may you take your word. And as a double-edged sword, may you pierce our hearts. Lord, discerning, reading, knowing, separating, Lord, all that is of us, that we might become more like you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's turn to the word of the Lord, can we? And I want us to read Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, reading from verse 26 down to verse 38. This is a very familiar passage of scripture. And I think one of the things that very often we can realise and maybe a trap that we sometimes fall into is that when we come to those stories recorded in the Gospels around the word becoming flesh and what we know as the nativity and all of that, that very often our over-familiarity can very often rob us of fresh insight. That we tend to pigeonhole certain aspects, certainly of the Gospels, and we put them into a certain context And lose sight of the fact that actually, as we talk about the word becoming flesh, it's more than just Jesus only. It's more than just the focus that we need to have upon a babe in the manger. Now, all of that is important. But actually, as you read the accounts that the evangelists have given us, it talks about the work of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Witnesses in heaven angelic beings, witnesses upon earth, shepherds, kings, rulers, and a whole range of other people. In other words, it's a grand theatre, isn't it? A convergence of heaven and earth all coming together at exactly the right time. And that's what Paul says in Galatians, doesn't it? That God sent his son, born at exactly the right time. Not a year too soon, Nor a year too late, Jesus is coming as the word made flesh was according to God's precise timing. And I think it's important to understand that here today. That everything that God does according to his sovereign grace, he does according to his perfect will. So let's come to the word of the Lord, shall we, here today. From verse 26 of Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, 
Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call him his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, and behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now I'm sure most, if not all of us, have read this passage of scripture on so many occasions. This wonderful way in which the word of the Lord came to Mary. How the spirit of the Lord overshadowed her. How that which was conceived in her was born of God, not through a human process, as is the case in the natural process of conception, but rather through a divine action of God. And what you find in the Bible, whenever there was a major turning point in the outworking of God's will, especially concerning the fulfilment of promise and the bringing forth of seed, very often that was met with the miraculous That was met with the outworking of God's power. God did something supernatural. God loves to amaze us, doesn't he? He loves to show us that he alone is the Lord of salvation and the God of history. And these passages remind us of the perfect partnership between how heaven comes in its power and in its glory and works with men or women on earth to bring forth The word of the Lord. And as we have read this passage of scripture here today, we are reminded of the climax, the fulfillment, the sense to which both law and prophecy and those various streams of truth are converging at a defining moment in history. How the prophecies of the Old Testament, too numerous to mention, speaking forth of the coming of the Messiah. How in the law and in the Psalms, so many scriptures point to the promise of redemption and salvation for the world, not just for Israel, but for the nations as a whole. And that is the glorious hope that we read of here today. And as we have read the latter part of this passage, I love what it says, that for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing is impossible for him in the face of uncertainty and fear let me just say this here today nothing is impossible with God whatever you're facing today whatever challenges hurdles whatever barriers or blockages whatever issues you are encountering in your life today nothing is impossible with God and we need to fix our hearts 
and minds upon this. We have the privilege of hindsight as we read these passages, don't we? We know how the story ends up. We know in how the word of the Lord came to pass. But for Mary especially, she was breaking new ground. With every moment, with every second that passed, suddenly things are taking place that have never happened before to bring forth something that God had promised. But as we look at the theme of today's message, it is the overshadowing presence of God. Why do I use that phrase? Well, to put it very simply, you are transformed by whatever overshadows you. You are transformed by whatever covers you. And you have a choice here today, especially in the age in which we live and the challenges around us. We can either be overshadowed by fear and worry and anxiety and a dark shadow is cast over our lives, one that is cast by the world and all that it stands for. Or we can be overshadowed by love, by grace, by mercy, by truth, by obedience. And we have a choice here today. But as we look at Mary, it says of her that the Holy Spirit would overshadow her. And in her womb would be conceived the Son of God. And this was the word of the Lord that came to her. And I just wanted to look at three great themes of the incarnation itself. Here's the outline for today. We're going to go through it. But it's something that I really wanted to encourage us with here today. And make it a personal word that can be something of the promise of God over our lives. What we see in this passage, again the reoccurring theme of the grace of God. Don't you just love it when the word of the Lord comes to Mary? Gabriel has been commissioned on an assignment to go to Nazareth in the region of the Galilee. And there was Mary, who was betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Both of them had come from a royal lineage through the household of David. So whatever son would be born to them would have a legal right to the throne of David himself. But then the word of the Lord comes and Gabriel speaks into the heart of Mary and says, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. Which is almost a play on words because one of the titles that Jesus would receive and how the word of the Lord would define him would be Emmanuel, God with us. So the word of the Lord before it came to the nations... Emmanuel, first of all, came to Mary. And very often that's how God works. He touches hearts. He transforms lives. He doesn't speak to everyone to begin with. He speaks to individuals. The word of the Lord comes to you, it comes to me. And then from that point onwards, the word of the Lord is spread abroad. And the nations hear know and understand but it says here that the Lord is with you now ironically it says here 
that she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Now, you could argue, well, it speaks for itself. It's a word from God. God speaks about his favour. But in the context of this passage, she was greatly troubled. No longer would there be any doubt and fear, but there would be a renewed sense of confidence. But in that process, the angel would say to her, do not be afraid. Now, why do you think that was the message that the angel had to bring to Mary? Well, because when you have Gabriel show up in your living room, your natural response will be, what have I done? Very often angels showed up and people died. Cities were brought low. The judgment of God came. But here we have Gabriel talking directly to Mary, bringing forth the word over her life. And she tried to ponder these things, as often that she did. This sense of personal, quiet reflection. But let us be encouraged here today, where the word of the Lord came, and it still comes, that the Lord is with you. Right here, right now, the Lord himself, by the presence of his Holy Spirit, is with you. And he is with us. Collectively, as well as as individuals, God is with us. The word of the Lord comes to us. Now, unlike Mary, it says in Hebrews 1, that in these last days God speaks to us by his son. Angel had a visitation from an angel. We have the written word of God. Speaking of the living word of God, Jesus himself, God's final word, the Logos, the one that John's gospel records as the means of creation for the nations and for the universe, the one who through the spirit of power became like us, Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. But the grace of God was upon Mary. The Lord is with you. His favour is upon you. And I just wanted to really encourage us all here today that we are favoured by God. The Bible says that we are the apple of his eye. And so many other scriptures are mentioned in the Bible concerning the unique relationship that we have with him. And that is something of a consolation. That is something of the empowering of God's will. It's something that should encourage us. But we need to think about it and meditate upon it. Not only in the context of how we receive that for ourselves. But also if I'm favoured by God and you're favoured by God. Then surely that's going to transform the dynamic of our relationship. If you're loved and I'm loved. Then surely that's got to bring a sense of unity, reconciliation and peace amongst us. If we all know that we're loved of the Father. Then that should radically transform how we are as believers. And how we relate to not only the Lord, but also how we relate to one another. The grace of God. Greetings, O favoured one. The Lord is with you. And the reality of that truth was more than just a word of encouragement. It was almost like a preface to a divine action. As the word of the Lord would come to her. 
concerning the birth of a child, concerning that which is conceived, concerning that which would overshadow her. So whenever God says you are favoured, watch out. Whenever God says I am with you, be ready. Because something's going to happen. Something that you've never thought about before. An experience that you've never entered into before. When God reminds you how much you are loved, get ready because something is going to happen. A miracle is going to occur. Something out of your wildest prayers, hopes and dreams is going to happen. God is going to do something in your life that is supernatural. To be reminded of the fact that the Lord is with us means that we need to pull up our socks, get ready and start moving in faith. And that's what the Lord is saying to every single one of us. That he loves us, his favour is upon us. But he says that because he wants us to be transformed. As she was transformed, so we also can become those, as Paul would say, he would say, I am passionate about the truth of Christ being formed in you. It's the same kind of picture, albeit different to what Mary experienced, but nonetheless, the word becoming flesh in your life. That's the heart of the Lord. So the grace of God was clearly seen. Secondly, we see truth concerning the government of God. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, there's two points here. There is the sense to which these prophecies of the throne of David and the household of Jacob all relate to literal physical Israel as an ethnic group. We know this from the Old Testament. And yet embedded in the promises to Israel as a nation and as God's covenant community, there was then the promise of a kingdom that would endure forever. Now the enduring kingdom was something that you could never point to in the Old Testament because the kingdom was either overridden or it was split, or it came to an end because the king died, or there was a corrupt king one minute and a good king the next. The history of kingdom life in Israel was very, very flawed and very uncertain. But here we have a promise where God is saying that there's a king coming who sits within the context of Old Testament prophecy, but whose kingdom is universal, it's spiritual, it's eternal, and it's not going to be over thrown by the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Egyptians. It's not going to come to an end because the king has died and his rebellious son has taken charge. It's going to be a kingdom that reigns forever. That's the truth of what God wants to put into our hearts. The government of God will be upon the shoulders of Messiah. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, El Gibor, Mighty God of his kingdom. And of his reign there will be no end. This is the kingdom of which we are a part. We're translated out of the kingdom of darkness. And brought into the kingdom of light. So today we are subjects of this kingdom. This kingdom 
will know no end. Its glory will not be concealed. Even though in the present time in which we live, it is a present reality, but it is a veiled kingdom. But it's also a future hope. It's now, but it's yet to come. That's the mystery of the kingdom. And the full reign of God will be seen on earth when the king over that kingdom returns. Both physically, visibly and universally. That is the promise of the word of God. And the government of God shall be upon his shoulders. And he will receive the throne of his father David. Linking in with the Old Testament law and prophecy concerning the promised Messiah. Reign over the house of Jacob. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Aren't you glad we're living in a realm of faith that will not run out of steam? It doesn't have a sell-by date. The gospel is not good today and bad tomorrow. The gospel is eternal. The gospel is that which God has entrusted to us. It is the means of grace by which we enter into this kingdom. So the government of God, a great theme of The incarnation narrative, time and time again, the theme recurs in various ways and at different times. The lordship. Even those wise men who came from the east, and there weren't three. Tradition has that because there were three gifts, but actually there could have been many more. They went to the palace, didn't they? The religious leaders of the day told them where the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. The scribes and the Pharisees knew exactly where the Messiah was going to be born. But the wise men says, we must go and worship him. An incredible story that would have sent shockwaves through the political infrastructure of the nation. We don't have time to go there here today, but it's a great message around that response and the homage paid by the Gentiles to the Jewish Messiah. The government of God. Let's move on to thirdly and finally. The theme of the glory of God. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. This is the glory of the Lord. There's an interesting link here with Genesis 1, where you read of how in the beginning was the Word. It talks about how God created all things. But it is said of the Holy Spirit that he hovered over the waters. There was darkness over the face of the deep and the Spirit of the Lord, like a dove, hovered over the waters. And then the word of the Lord was heard. Let there be light. And there was light. God spoke words and out of darkness came forth the light of God's power, purpose 
and presence. And it's a similar picture that we read of here, how the Spirit of the Lord would hover, would overshadow Mary, and into her womb would be birthed a new creation. It would be an act of God, supernatural, bypassing natural process of conception, but still significant in terms of the life that would be produced as a result of that holy union. But the overshadowing power of God's will and purpose would be seen. God would move by his Holy Spirit. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. The Spirit of the Lord is working in similar ways even today. As Jesus would say, as he would look across the Kidron Valley to what was the Temple Mount, he would say that, Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, oh how I long to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks. It's the same picture. Psalm 91 talks about the overarching sense to which as we are under the shadow of the wing of God, so we are in that place of absolute security. We are transformed by that which overshadows us. And I love the picture that's painted in Hebrews 9 and verse 5, where the writer speaking of the tabernacle of Moses and the outer court, the inner sanctuary and then the holiest of all. He talks about the fact that there was the Ark of the Covenant right in the Holy of Holies upon which was the mercy seat. On top of the mercy seat were two angels, cherubim, whose wings went inwards overshadowing that mercy seat. It's a similar picture to what we find in Luke 1. God's overshadowing presence over our lives. Now what does that mean? It means protection. Let's take this word, God's overshadowing presence over our lives, typed and shadowed with the tabernacle of Moses, with the Ark of the Covenant, the wings of the cherubim, the mercy seat, and all of this and more, speaks of divine Protection, And for this young couple with their newborn baby, the threats against them as a family rose. God called them out, sent them west to Egypt. So that the prophet Hosea's message in chapter 11 and verse 1 might be fulfilled out of Egypt, I've called my son. Speaking originally of Israel as a nation, but ultimately fulfilled in Christ. The second exodus of Jesus and his parents being brought from the west to the east. But the Lord would bring protection and strength. God overshadows you today. I love in Hebrews 1 it says, let all the angels worship him. Christ himself is the mercy seat. He is the one, isn't he? Through whose blood we have reconciliation with the Father. Through his life, we have access into the presence of the Father. But that mercy seat over which the wings of the cherubim would overshadow would also be a place of purity and holiness. When God overshadows your life, 
holiness defines the very essence of that relationship. Because holiness is something that God pronounces upon you. You are made holy. And God is not only able to make you holy, he is also able to keep you holy. By his power and by his glory, he keeps that which is entrusted to us. I love what Jude says right at the back end of the New Testament, next door to the book of Revelation, where it says of the church that we are kept for Jesus Christ. But then it says, keep yourselves in the love of God. So we have a keeping and he has a keeping, but together we are united in one truth around the security of the believer. But God says, there's purity Being overshadowed by God means that we live in a place of purity. And we are empowered to walk in newness of life. Titus says that the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. We don't simply leave it up to God to deal with the mistakes that we make. We have to take responsibility in our own lives. But at the end of the day, God empowers us to walk in newness of life. He equips us to be the people that he's called us to be. But what about peace? The mercy seat was a place of peace and reconciliation. Because under the mercy seat was the ark, wasn't it? The ark of the covenant. In the ark of the covenant in the days of Moses was three things. There was a jar of manna, Aaron's rod that had budded, and the twin tablets of the law. Three things speaking of very different things, but nonetheless very significant. But as that sacrifice was laid upon the altar and its blood was taken, the Ark of the Covenant, and in particular, every article of worship, but the mercy seat especially was covered in the blood of that sacrifice. And at the moment the blood was applied to that mercy seat, on an annual basis, so the sins of the nation were atoned for, albeit for a year, But there was an annual reminder of sin. Such was the limitations of the Old Testament sacrificial system. For us as believers, we have a mercy seat. But the offering that has been presented to the Father, whose blood has been offered, is an eternal offering. Which means once and for all, we are forgiven. Once and for all, we are saved. Once and for all, our sins are cleansed. And the mercy of God has been revealed. Once and for all. That is the good news. It's a place of peace and reconciliation. When that blood was sprinkled on that mercy seat, the sins of the nation were atoned for. Albeit for a year. And then the whole thing had to happen over again. Read it in the book of Hebrews. Very clear and precise as to what happened and how all of that foreshadowed what we now have in Christ. But it's peace. God says, when I see the blood, I will pass over. The death angel will not have any power over your life. Death has been banished, but God's looking for the blood, isn't he? The death angel is vanquished when the blood is applied. We know of this in Exodus chapter 12 with the night of Passover. We have peace with God. When God overshadows your life, you have peace with God and you can enjoy the peace of God. And it's my prayer here today, and maybe you've come 
There are things upon your heart and mind. Issues, challenges. You feel as though your peace is in pieces. Well, the Lord wants to restore that sense of tranquility. I love what it says of the picture that John saw of the heavenly throne room in the book of Revelation where there was a sea of glass in front of the throne. A perfect mill pond. There's no stress in heaven today. There's no argy-bargy. There's no power struggles. There's no competing for positions and titles and who sits where and upon what throne. There's perfect order, perfect peace. When all hell breaks loose on earth, as we read of it in the book of Revelation, perfect peace in heaven. No wonder Jesus would say, when you pray, pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. May the peace of God come upon us at this time. And thirdly, we've talked about peace, but fourthly, it's a place of pardon, that mercy seat where sins are forgiven. When overshadowing revelation comes, when the overshadowing presence of the Lord is known, we're pardoned by God. You're forgiven. Hallelujah. You are forgiven today. You just need to receive that as a gift. And if you don't know that your sins are forgiven, then please do not leave this meeting here today without having an opportunity to talk to someone, maybe to ask the question, am I right with God? At this time especially? All those wrong things that I've done, has God forgiven me? Well, the answer is yes, but you have to receive the gift. So it's protection, purity, peace, pardon. All of this was symbolised as God's overshadowing presence. As we read of it for Mary and for us here today, we need to be encouraged by the word of the Lord. We need to be strengthened by how God wants to presence himself with us. We need the Lord himself to come and to do something new in our hearts. Amen. Amen. So if God ever says to you, I am with you, it's because something is about to happen. Something that is beyond what we can dare ask for or even hope for. Like it says in Ephesians 3 and verse 20, that God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask for, hope for or even imagine. According to his power that is at work in our lives. May that be the promise for us here today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's just pray together, shall we? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that we have sought to understand here today. And Lord, I pray that into our hearts there might be born, Lord, fresh understanding and truth. Bless every single person, Lord, within the sound of my voice. Even those listening, Lord, online, I pray that the word of the Lord itself, not what I say, but what you say, might be born and birthed in people's hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.